Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us here on this Tuesday inside the jungle. It's me, D.A. Damon Amendolari. You can usually catch me mornings here on CBS Sports Radio, but in for Jim a couple of days this week and always a thrill, especially from the Southern California studios of the Jim Rome Show. I have filled in for this show before, but never from SoCal, always from New York. And so this is really cool. In fact, I've had some great L.A. experiences and moments, which we will delve into a little bit later on in the show. Coming up in 20 minutes, a West Coast legend, a baseball legend, really one of the greatest big game, big moment pitchers of all time. He was a World Series champ in 81 with the Dodgers. He was a World Series champ in 89 with the A's. You could argue between 88, 89, and 90 for that three-year postseason period when he pitched in the ALCS and the World Series every single year. He was the best big game gun, the best, the best big game ace we've got in the sport at that time. Dave Stewart is going to join us here on the show, not only to talk about all those incredible moments that he had, but also he is trying to bring baseball to Nashville. So we'll talk to Dave Stewart, legendary ace, coming up here on the program in 20 minutes. In 40 minutes, I went into a long discussion yesterday about the Dodger dog, my first experience with said dog because that's how we roll around here. And we had breaking news after the show that the concession workers at Dodger Stadium appear to align with my thinking on said meal. We'll do that in 40 minutes as well. Coming up, we'll talk about SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12, college football realignment and where we stand. Also, we've got everybody weighing in, including the NFL executives on the best of the NFL quarterbacks. John Morant on Michael Jordan, Albert Pujols in a swan song derby, and Heinz Field is no more. All of that coming up here on the show, so this should be a lot of fun. As always, clones, you can hit us up on the phone at 1-800-636-8686 or via email, Rome at haveatake.com. We are, as always, monitoring the Twitter feeds at Jim Rome, or if you want to hit me up directly to excoriate my takes at DA on CBS. Nothing says July like trying to peer inside the soul of LeBron James at a summer league game. You know that if LeBron is sitting courtside at a summer league basketball game. And his teammate, Russell Westbrook, is sitting on the other side of said arena at the same summer league game. And the two don't meet. We've got to dissect this. This means something. In fact, it might mean everything. This is the biggest thing in the world. Why aren't they talking? Shouldn't they be talking? Would they be talking? If they did talk, what would we say? If they didn't talk, what will we say? If they don't talk, does it say everything or nothing at the same time? Is the world going to implode? Here's the deal. LeBron's at a game. 
Russ is at a game. They're not sitting next to one another. That part's okay. That they didn't meet, they didn't dap up, that they didn't converse, that part's not okay. And you might say, well, DA, you might be reading into this a little bit too much. I mean, who cares? It's a bunch of adults. They meet, they talk, they don't meet, they don't talk. Why read into it? Because we know this. The Lakers are emotionally damaged. They are not stable. They are not confident. They are not full speed ahead. We know what we have to do. We'll be better. We'll get this thing back on the right track. No, they are emotionally damaged as a franchise. We know that this is a house of cards. We know that LeBron is only about chasing rings. We know that Anthony Davis is only about not staying healthy. We know that Russell Westbrook is only about his own stats. And we know that happiness is at the center, the epicenter of all things Lakers all the time. Jeannie Buss cryptically tweeting about what teamwork should be and doing things for the franchise, not yourself, not being selfish. Now, Kobe would teach us these lessons if he was still around, which, as much as we all love Kobe, is a little bit of a stretch. As though Kobe was always the ultimate team guy. The ultimate altruistic teammate. Not necessarily, but that's neither here nor there. We know that this is a bruised ego of a franchise, and we know that this is a desperate time. Look, the clock is ticking tick, 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 on LeBron James, one of the greatest players of all time. Some would say the greatest player of all time. The clock is ticking, and everything is so delicate. Everything is so damaged the ego's been punctured, and so you have to look at things like this and wonder, what does it mean? And what it means is, things ain't good. Things ain't good. What I think it means, what I think it very evidently means, is that LeBron James has gone to his bosses and said, you got to get rid of Russ. We can't win like this. One year after going to his bosses and saying, you got to get Russ. We need him to win. Westbrook. And one year after saying, you got to go get Russ, hearing you can't have Russ, we got to trade Russ, has his bosses saying, yeah, well, we don't know if we're going to follow your direction at the moment. And also, LeBron, no offense, love you, you're great, high basketball IQ, we really love you around here, but it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to move Russ right now. LeBron, we hear you. We totally hear you. We know what you're saying. Look, in fact, we might even agree, but it's $47 million and nobody wants him. And guess what? Russ knows this. Russ knows one year ago, LeBron was like, dude, come to L.A. We'll win. You'll be perfect. We need you. Hey, boss. Hey, Rob. Hey, yo, hey, Jeannie, hey, everybody, we need Russ. And one year later, Russ knows this. He's not stupid. LeBron's like, yo, you got to get rid of Russ. <laughs> so, yeah, of course it's not comfortable. And, of course, they're not going to meet at midcourt and dap up. And, of course, they're not going to do a photo op together because he knows and I know and she knows and he knows and he knows that I know that he knows that he knows 
Of course, that's what is going on right now. Russell Westbrook has an enormous ego himself, and Russell Westbrook feels unfairly targeted as the GOAT of last season. And in some ways, that's actually true. As bad as Russell Westbrook was, Westbrook. he was atrocious. AD needs to stay on the floor. And LeBron was also not always on the floor. And all the other surrounding pieces that they put together didn't work out as well. And it imploded. And that's not just on Russell Westbrook. I mean, had they won an NBA championship last year, nobody would have said, well, see, Westbrook was the perfect antidote to everything. He's the reason. Just because they were terrible doesn't mean the opposite, that he was the entire reason that they lost. But he was awful. And he's a total salary suck. And it's a ton of money. And for $47 million, you need to be able to allocate that money in a different way. And LeBron knows that. You know how LeBron knows that? You know how Russell knows that LeBron knows that? LeBron wants Kyrie back. <laughs> think about how this ended in Cleveland. And think about what it would take for LeBron to go, yeah, you know, let's do that Kyrie thing. Let's run it back. It would have to be so bad and so desperate and so few options that you'd have to go, ah, all right, yeah, we can make that thing work. I mean, it's not failure at all. When I look at LeBron and Russell Westbrook, and I look at why they didn't talk the other day at Summer League and why it's icy clearly between the two, I think about maybe having a best friend in high school. You're like, dude, let's go to college together. Let's room together. It will be amazing. We will rage it's going to be awesome. We'll have the best party ever. You're like, yes, awesome. Best friends, best friends, best friends. Let's go. College, rage, live together. And then the first semester goes by and you realize your best friend smokes up all day, doesn't clean anything, sits in the dorm room all day long, doesn't go to class, and you come home and you're like, it stinks in here. And then he plays music all night and you can't get any sleep. And at semester break, you're going... This was not a great idea, and I got another semester to go? Now, you can't tell your best friend, dude, clean up. You smell. Dude, turn down the music. Because then your, bro you know, your buddy goes, I thought we were going to rage. I thought we were supposed to rage. You convinced me to come live with you. This was supposed to be awesome. Oh, you're such a dweeb. And LeBron is at the midpoint of the semester going, this no, uh-uh, no. And now he's trying to get the housing commission, he's trying to get somebody to, to do the, the deed to get his, his roommate out of there without having to be the bad guy. I mean, LeBron wants to get back together with Kyrie. How bad is this dorm situation? <laughs> How bad is the living situation? He wants to get back together with Kyrie, who shot his way out of town and completely dismantled a potential championship team in LeBron's final years in Cleveland. That's how desperate this is. So, yeah, 
when they are together at Summer League in the same place and they do not come together and they do not speak, and when they are potentially in the same area vicinity, they are icy and they don't have much of a relationship, this is why. Russ thinks he was unfairly painted as the only GOAT of last season. And Russ knows that his buddy who got him to Los Angeles and promised it was going to be awesome is now trying to elbow him out because it is decidedly not awesome. It is the farthest thing from awesome. And the Lakers are just now, once again, melodramatic twisting in the wind. Because if they run this thing back, it's going to be a disaster again. We all know this. You can't have a $47 million Russell Westbrook and just assume that Darvin Ham's going to fix it. Yeah, Darvin Ham's going to fix it. That, in fact, should be the slogan of the 22-23 Lakers. Don't worry, Darvin Ham will fix it. Whoever came up with that <laughs> need to be fired, but whatever. <laughs> in fact, let's just print the T-shirts now. Purple and gold. Darvin Ham will fix it. We'll be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Did I mention it's going to be fine? <laughs> They're not going to be able to move Westbrook. And even Kyrie brings its own set of ridiculous headaches. Even if they could move mountains to move Westbrook and find a sucker to take on that deal and package it with a million picks or whatnot, Kyrie brings his own headaches. And the final years of LeBron James' incredibly decorated career is going to keep tick, tick, ticking away in the middle of a soap opera he did create. I mean, nobody needs to play a violin for him. He did create this. And now, this is the reality. LeBron and Westbrook will be icy and uncomfortable, and they'll have to fake it and patch it together, and hopefully, Darvin Ham can fix it. When you can't do it by just one guy, LeBron can't do it by himself. <laughs> Ah, the best. Our next guest has had an incredible lifetime in baseball. What a story. What a career. He's done everything. He's been a World Series champ. He's been a postseason MVP. He won 20 games, four consecutive seasons. He was a baseball executive, an agent, and now attempting to bring baseball to a new city Joining us this morning here on the show is Major League Baseball great Dave Stewart. Dave, how we doing? Man, I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for joining us. All-Star Game is coming up next week from Dodger Stadium. You, of course, began your career with the Dodgers. And for all of your accolades, it's always shocking to me that you only made one All-Star Game despite winning all of those games, all of those postseason awards. Does it bother you that you were only honored to go to one all-star game in your career? You know, if, if you know, I, I think if the game would have taken a different turn at that time, you know, back then um, we, we played the all-star game on the Tuesday and we had the Wednesday off and then Thursday we were right back to playing. Um, and so Tony's philosophy was, 
um, I would pitch the last game uh, before All-Star break, which would be that Sunday, and then I would come back and pitch on that Thursday after the All-Star break. And so pitching that Sunday, um, as you know, Major League Baseball wants to have people that can participate in the game. So if I pitched on Sunday, reasonably I would not pitch or be able to pitch on on, um, that Tuesday. Um, So if I'd have been smart back in the day, I would have taken the selections at least and maybe not participate. Uh, but I just wasn't smart. I, you know, I ended up pitching <laughs> the Sunday and then be ready to go on that Thursday. And so um, that's that's how that worked out for me. But, you know, I don't regret uh, pitching that Sunday game and then having that first game back after the break. You were such an amazing workhorse for the A's. 260 innings, 275, 257, 267, 226, all in consecutive years. You led the league in innings pitched for two seasons out of that that grouping, and now we just don't see that happen anymore. Does that bum you out that we don't see the workhorse pitchers like you used to you used to be, or do you understand that's just how the game has to evolve? Well, I understand that that's how the game has has gone, but at the same time, um, having you know a couple of guys in the rotation that can can, can throw innings for you, give you a, a, a bulk of work also saves the pitching staff. Um, you know, when you've got relievers that are pitching every day, uh, your staff is pitching three or four innings of a nine-inning game out of the bullpen, then I think it's necessary that you figure out a way to, to get more innings out of your starting rotation. Um, I was watching the Houston Astros play um, a couple of days ago versus the A's, um, and um, they had uh, two pitchers that one pitched into the eighth and the other completed the game. And so for me, in this day and time, it is refreshing to see pitchers pitch deep in the game. Uh, Scherzer last night uh, pitched seven complete innings against uh, the Atlanta Braves. It, I love to see that, that part of the game because it's not necessarily pitching deep in the game, but it's the, it's the, um, the ability to think your way through situations and, you know, work yourself and maneuver yourself out of jams, um, uh, going through a lineup more than two times, three times, and possibly four times. That is the, the excitement for me, seeing pitchers do that. Three-time World Series champ Dave Stewart joins us here on the show. And your nickname is Smoke. You were as intimidating as anybody on the mound in your prime, perhaps ever. And you wouldn't mind coming up and in. You wouldn't mind plunking in the ribs. In fact, there is this incredible moment when you're still trying to find your way in your career when you actually incite a bench-clearing brawl back in 85. Is it true that you punched the opposing manager to incite said brawl? Hey. He incited it. <laughs> I just happened to be on the other end of it. You know, I, I, you know, I played in a time when, you know, if you had, I, at that time I was coming out of the bullpen, and so if you had back-to-back-to-back home runs, somebody had to pay the price for it. And so um, I came in on, on the tail end of the back-to-back and then gave up a home run. And so the next guy got it, and then uh, the manager – who uh, was Pat Corrales at that time, actually charged me. And uh, and so I didn't have any other choice but to protect myself. <laughs> <laughs> and that meant having to punch the opposing manager. 
<laughs> that, that, yeah, that, that's how it ended up. It's <laughs> amazing. One of my favorite Dave Stewart stories. That's awesome. So you are fronting a a group that wants to bring baseball to Nashville. And Nashville has exploded in popularity in recent years. As a sports state, Tennessee is amazing. They've got everything. They support hockey and the Predators. They support football, obviously, the Vols and the Titans, and the list goes on and on. Basketball, you've got Memphis is this hotbed. And so you think baseball can work in Nashville. Why are you so passionate about this project? Well, I'm passionate about it, one, uh, because the city definitely can support baseball. There's no doubt in my mind it can support baseball. Um, it's, it's a fast-growing city. It's one of the fastest-growing cities in America. And so supporting a, another major major sports franchise, uh, I don't think that's going to be an issue at all. Um, but the real passion in this uh, also has to do with minority-slash-diverse black ownership. Um, this would be the first time in Major League history that uh, any team has been owned by a minority or by black owned. And so that is a passion. I mean, it's something that I'd like to see happen. The, the second piece of this is we've already adopted the name Nashville Stars. And the Nashville Stars was an old Negro League team that played here in Nashville. And so to have the name Nashville Stars to be black owned and to have a Negro League team's name attached to a major league baseball team um, you know, that, that tells the whole story. We're, you know, we're in, a, we're in a period of time now in baseball that um, they should be ready uh, for black ownership. And um, so my passion is, is black ownership. It's doing something historic in the game of baseball. Um, but it's also being a part of a sport that I've spent 45 years in and, uh, you know, just having the opportunity to put together a, a team and put together diverse ownership and, and to be able to do all of that is, is the exciting part for me. And baseball's trying to unlock a more diverse fan base as well. They're looking for higher participation with black ball players. You were part of one of the greatest generations ever of black ball players coming up through the seventies and eighties, Ricky Henderson, yourself, et cetera, just from Oakland. And so do you think that also that could dovetail into baseball's hope to expand its footprint where maybe it, it has lost some ground in that way? Well, I do. I do I, what, I, what I do know is this, and I can say this because I am black. Um, the reason why I played the sport um, when I was a kid was, one, my father loved the game of baseball, but when I was a kid, um, the San Francisco Giants were the team, and so I had an opportunity to see Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Jim Ray Hart, Felipe Lou, Matty Lou, Juan Marinchel. Uh, I, I had a chance to see those guys play. Now, when I was a kid, I had no idea that Matty Lou, Felipe Lou, Orlando Cepeda, I had no idea that they were Latin. They looked to me as if though they're black. And so when you're a black Kids watching a sport, which is why I believe most of our kids, black kids, are attracted to football and basketball, is because when you look on the court, you see yourself on the court. Um, when you look in football, you see yourself on the football field. And baseball 
has not done a good job of, of that as far as black participation. As we know, the numbers are down lower than they've ever been in, in the sport. And so I think when Major League Baseball presents Nashville Stars and, and our group as owners of a baseball team, that will ring not just in the world of baseball, but that will ring across the country. And that will also be something that gives our, our youth, black kids, diverse kids, an idea and a thought that they too can be um, in ownership, not just in baseball, but in businesses in general. And that they'll be out, they'll have the opportunity to practice diverse opportunities within their businesses. And I mean, we all know that when you get the ideas of many, and not just many um, people that look like you, but many people that look not like you, you have a better opportunity and chance to run a successful business. Mm, Well said. Dave Stewart joins us here on the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Radio and the CBS Sports Network. But before I let you go, you're trying to bring baseball to Nashville you are an Oakland A's icon. The A stadium situation is obviously very precarious. Would it be bittersweet if you were the one that were able to take the A's out of Oakland and bring them to Nashville? Well, I can I can say this right away. It is not my intent um, to bring the Oakland A's to Nashville. Um, <laughs> I've got family there. I still spend a great deal of time in the Oakland area. Um, me taking the Oakland A's out of Oakland, man, that would be suicidal for me and my family. (laughs) No, (laughs) I don't see that. I don't see that to be the case. We do not have our eyes on, on the Oakland A's uh, in bringing them to Nashville. And, you know, I think that the A's right now, I've been um, involved in, in, in what they're doing. And when I say involved from a distance, seeing what's going on, watching the votes, um, reading the news, and even in some occasions speaking with Dave Cowbell. I mean, it seems that they're in a good position um, to, to get it done in Oakland. They've just had two votes that are important votes. They just had one vote, I, I, forgive me, that was very important that they passed with the Port of Oakland. Um, they just had another one with the city council that will bypass putting their them on a, on a vote in November. And so they can move this process along without any obstruction. Um, I believe that they're going to be able to get it done. So plucking the A's out of Oakland would help you lose your family almost immediately. It would help me lose my family, and I'd have to fly into a different place and drive into Oakland. Is what would happen. <laughs> Dave Stewart is one of the great big game pitchers of all time, a three-time World Series champion. He is the face of bringing baseball to the Music City. You can check out more information about this at MLBMusicCity.com. Also follow him on Twitter as well for his latest. You can do that by following Dave at DSmoke34. Dave, our conversations are always awesome. I really appreciate the time today. meant a lot, man. Thanks so much. Best of luck with the cause. I'm sure we'll catch up again. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. My pleasure. Dave Stewart joining us here on the show. Well, there's nothing not to like about that conversation because we ran the gamut. But the highlight is clearly him retelling the story from 1985 of inciting a bench-clearing brawl by punching the opposing manager. Pat Corrales is the manager of the Indians at that point in time. 
not happy with the plunking. There's been back-to-back-to-back home runs. Comes out, the manager charges the mound, and Dave Stewart goes, well, we're going to do this here and now, I guess. Boom! Drops the opposing manager. And then the Donnybrook begins. Baseball a little different in the mid-'80s, huh? Yeah, back in my day. You know, yeah, these days we thought it was a great brawl a couple of weeks ago when guys actually touched one another. There was wrestling. They actually took somebody down and it kept going. Yeah, it was fine. It was good. For 2022, it was good. For 1985, that's just a random night of the ballpark. In 1985, your ace pitcher could drop the opposing manager with a haymaker from the mound. (laughs) What does that do on social, do you think, that clip in 2022? Oh, here's a Major League Baseball ace punching the opposing manager, dropping him on the field, and everybody then runs out to to create the brawl. You think that would do well on social? You think that would get some retweets, some views? Do you think anything else in the world would happen in sports for those 48 hours besides that video being played everywhere? Smoke is just amazing, isn't he? Just amazing. Speaking of baseball, Thomas tweets, In DA, I guess the stadium vendors were so hacked off at your Dodger dog critique yesterday, they've decided to go on strike. Well, how about that synergy? My first Dodger Stadium experience happened on Saturday. Really haven't had a chance to spend too much time in Southern California over the years. I've been here before, but very briefly. So my first Dodger game, of course I said, I've got to get a Dodger dog. And when I did, I was underwhelmed. It's a hot dog with little packets of condiments. It's exactly what you might get at your middle school lunch. It's exactly less than you would get on your backyard grill. It's exactly the most adequate ballpark food in 2022. In 1962, hell, that's a good meal at the ballpark. You know, 60 years later, we got other options. So I went on my screen about how basically Dodger dogs are the Julian Edelman of hot dogs, of ballpark foods. There are some crazy loyalists that believe it's a Hall of Fame type item. And the rest of us go, yeah, you're nuts. Needs everything around it to be perfect, to be part of the experience. Edelman needs Tom Brady and needs AFC Championship games and Super Bowls to have those big moments. But other than that, you know he's just an adequate wide receiver. When people say he's a Hall of Famer, you go, well, no, he's not. He was great in some big spots. A Dodger dog's not a Hall of Fame item at a ballpark, but when you combine it with Chavez Ravine and a sunset over the mountains and a Dodger Stadium experience, yeah, it feels great because of everything else going on. As soon as I get done talking about this, the Dodger Stadium concession staff says, we're striking. We need better working conditions. And this is ahead of the All-Star Game a week from tonight at Dodger Stadium. So timing is everything in life, boys and girls. And the concession team says, no better time to strike than before the All-Star Game because you need us for the All-Star Game. So hopefully that gets worked out. But it leads me to believe that they heard the show 
And they're saying, this is the time to strike. DA's right. These hot dogs are underwhelming. What are we doing here, people? Don't we have pride in our lives, in our careers, in our industry? Don't we want to serve the very best to the, to the fans out there? Why are we serving up grade school category hot dogs? And if we are, shouldn't we dress them up, everybody? I can only imagine that union meeting whipping everybody into a frenzy. Where's the chopped onions? Where's the sweet relish? Where's the jalapeno peppers? Where's the crema? We need something, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. There's no chili. There's no cheese. There's no sauerkraut. There's nothing. We won't work. We won't work. Not under these conditions. We ain't serving another mediocre hot dog to another fan for nine bucks. We won't work. We won't work. Hot dogs, more like hot frauds. We won't work. We won't work. So far be it from me to claim responsibility for an Attica-style uprising with the Dodger Stadium concession team, but I feel like we might have lit the fire yesterday. You know what? This guy on the radio with just his initials is making a lot of sense here. We've been bamboozled, everybody. We all know these hot dogs aren't that great. Used to be Farmer John. Now we don't even know what type of hot dogs these are. Scully's gone. We're serving mediocre hot dogs. What are we doing here, everybody? Yeah, we won't work. And for the All-Star game. You know. What are we doing here? This is supposed to be... The like, jewel, what are we doing? jewel event of the summer. Like, what am I doing here? Honestly, what am I doing? Like, what am I here for? You know, you take such pride of the craft, and you look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the night, and you ask yourself, did I really get into stadium concessions to serve a mediocre hot dog? What are we doing here? Is that, is that my North Star? Is that, is that my purpose? No, that guy on the radio was right. We won't be serving these hot dogs next Tuesday as the world watches. No, sirree. Fatty Crackers tweets in. Loyal DA show listener, loyal DA alien. Nashville can absolutely support a Major League Baseball team DA. The Brewers AAA team, the Sounds, just got a sparkly new downtown stadium, plus Titans and Preds are beloved. I'm also stoked Dave's bid has a tie to the Negro Leagues and Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City. Well, anybody that knows my story, I spent five years in Kansas City, became very close to the people that run the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Bob Kendrick, the president, and everybody there. Buck O'Neill, who was an absolute icon and became kind of a superstar through the documentary Baseball from Ken Burns. They are such amazing, and Buck when he was alive, such amazing caretakers of the legacy of the Negro Leagues baseball. And then through that museum, if you have a chance this summer and you're working your way through the Midwest, take your kids or just yourself to that museum. It is so special. It is so poignant. It is so uplifting and positive while also 
describing what was so difficult about that path and about that time, but it is, it's done with such an incredible touch that I just, I love that museum so much. And you're right, it is really cool that they have tied that into the bid with the Nashville Stars logo and team name, considering that was the Negro Leagues team as well way back when, nearly now a century ago. So, look, Nashville's an amazing town just in general. Nobody ever goes to Nashville and doesn't have a good time. I mean, I step foot out of the airport. I'm like, this seems like a good time. I step foot back on the plane four days later and said, that was a really good time. Everything in between was just badass and a huge party and friendly and the music is amazing and the bars are amazing. and everything. The only thing that's not amazing is going to the Titans game. That was the worst part of my weekend. The bars were great. The people were great. The food was great. The drinks were great. The bands were great. The city was great. And then I had to watch three and a half hours of Titans football. Even before Vrabel got there. This was like the old Mike Malarkey days or whatever. It, that was the toughest part. I think it might have been a Wizen Hunt game. That's how bad it was. But everything else, yeah, amazing. If you can just avoid putting a malarkey or a wizard hunt as manager of the stars, you'll be fine. People will want to go. Preds games are ridiculous. Preds games are just one of the best parties out there. They love hockey. They do a huge thing for it. I mean, they just, they really get into it. Again, I think Nashville baseball could absolutely work. Just keep wizard hunt away. Don't let Tannehill anywhere near there as well. Then you're, you'll be okay. Then baseball will work in Nashville.